Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome. I'm your host, Tony D'Urso. I interview successful people whom I call elite entrepreneurs, and I thank you for joining us once again. This show is dedicated to helping you turn your vision into reality. And I've seen you grow from the wisdom and guidance that we've been giving out on this show. And I'm very happy for you. And we have another nugget here. Today, we're going to discuss getting jobs done with Jay Haynes. Now, we both have jobs to do on a constant basis. We need to get things done in order to get paid, in order to feed our families and survive. Are you getting your jobs and tasks done efficiently to accelerate revenue growth and generate superior equity value? Are you? When have you last pondered over this area to give it an overhaul? Let's help you look this over. Meet Jay Haynes. He's the founder and CEO of Thrive, that's T-H-R-V, and it's the first and only jobs to be done software for product, marketing, and sales teams. He's won a number of awards for innovation experience, and he's worked with top companies such as Microsoft, eBay, Twitter, and others. And by the way, if you like what I'm doing, please rate my show on your favorite podcast or video platform, or just go into the comments and say something nice. You can also go to TonyDURSO.com slash review and share this with your friends that you believe would be helped by this. All right, let's get into it now. Hi, Jay. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me here. It's great to be here. The honor is mine. I want to learn more about getting jobs done. We all have a job to do. We all need to get it done more efficiently. That's what life's all about. That's, that's our world. And just before we get into that, perhaps you could fill us in on how it all started for you, Jay. Tell us about your journey. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks for having me here. So uh, my journey really started about 30 years ago, actually in the finance world. Um, I spent the first 10 years of my career in finance buying companies. And I was always interested in the innovation process. Um, and back in the early 90s when I was starting my career, I was lucky enough to work on a deal to acquire Steinway & Sons, the legendary piano company. And what I find so interesting about Steinway is it's probably the least innovative company on the planet. <laughs> Literally, it is selling the same product it invented 150 years ago. And their brand, of course, is that they sell the same product and they make it in the exact same way. So they've had almost no innovation in 150 years. And we could create equity returns by buying the company with debt, cutting costs, and doing some more acquisitions. But really, it wasn't about innovation or growth which to me was totally fascinating because, of course, music over the past 30 years is one of those industries where you've seen enormous amounts of innovation. And then I went and worked as a uh, product manager at Microsoft in the late 90s, and, and that was really interesting. And I was thinking that they would have the secret sauce to innovation, because you may remember in the late 90s, you know, Microsoft was literally the just world's dominant company. And they didn't really have a systematic kind of scientific process to really innovate. Um, and the state of the art back then was still to ask customers what features they wanted. You know, Tony, do you like this feature or that feature? And that really didn't work well. And most companies do not succeed at innovation. Um, but venture investors, of course, have invested in some of the most innovative companies in the world. So I 
went and ran a couple of Silicon Valley startups thinking that venture investors would have the secrets <laughs> and I would learn all the secrets from them. Turns out they didn't even have a systematic process either. So that was very frustrating. Um, and I had been fortunate enough to study with Clay Christensen, who you may know and your listeners may know from Harvard Business School, who got famous mostly talking about disruption, but really went on to spend the last part of his career focused on jobs to be done. And that's what led me 10 years ago, uh, you know, in the later part of my career to say, okay, this method I think is going to be better to innovate. It's better for companies, it's better for entrepreneurs, and it can really help companies align with their customers, which is the, which is the core part of the, the method. So that was ultimately why I started Thrive, which was this you know, quest of finding a scientific process that would enable me to really put something in place that was consistently able to innovate successfully. And that's really the essence of Jobs to be Done. It's very interesting, and we're going to get more into it and really tear it apart, get into the detail and drill down. And I'm curious, you've mentioned that you're looking for innovation, and it's like, what's the purpose? What's the reason behind this? Why does it matter to you? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, And I I really kind of credit my dad, or blame him, whatever you want to look at it. (laughs) Um, In 1979, he came home with this thing called an Apple computer. And it was this Apple II. And as a kid, I was totally fascinated by it. And that led to actually a a kind of multi-decade conversation between me and my dad. He uh, eventually got what was known at the time as an IBM compatible. You may remember that's how people referred to Windows. This is a, he bought a compact computer, which was IBM compatible. So he thought, and then of course, Apple famously went on for the Apple II to launch the Mac. And so as I was in college using a Mac, you know, my dad thought the Mac was a toy. It would smiled at you and had these nice sounds and it was, had a mouse, you know, he was, he was used to using, you know, key commands and typing into a green screen to get anything done. So I always, I, I thought that was so fascinating. You know, what was Apple doing? It was totally different and it was very innovative. And I always thought it was better. But I had no way to explain to my dad why this was better. Uh, and eventually, you know, when you come to understand innovation and what changes and what represents growth opportunities for companies, if you look through it, this jobs to be done lens as it becomes, as it's known today, it really explains a lot. And the basic idea behind the jobs theory concept is pretty simple. It's that customers are actually not buying products. What you're doing is hiring that product to get a job done. And that means that customers have a goal that's independent of any product or service, and they're hiring that product or service to get the job done, but the job is very, very stable over time. And that's where the method gets really, really powerful. And, and that was the kind of the source of my interest in innovation. But if you look at it today, I mean, companies exist to generate growth and ultimately equity value. And that's a very, very risky thing to do. Just ask BlackBerry, right? You know, they thought they were investing in a great roadmap that was going to lead to success in the exact same market as the iPhone. One of those, you know, led to a $50 million drop in market value. The other led to a $2 trillion increase. And people forget that BlackBerry, when the iPhone launched, had a four times bigger market cap than, than Apple. So these are really big questions for companies. You can either go bankrupt or become you know, one of the most successful companies in the world if you answer these questions correctly. It's not a small thing to try and figure this stuff out. 
I miss my BlackBerry, Jay, now that you mention it. I know I'm probably the minority of, of two in the world, but you'll probably never guess why I loved my BlackBerry so dearly when it was around. I'll tell you, I used to be a professional typist, and I loved the keyboard. I loved it. It was the only way I could type, and I could type really fast on a BlackBerry. Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at, if you go back and look at the iPhone launch, the CEO of BlackBerry at the time did actually say that. He said keyboards are the latest thing. People love their keyboards. And what's interesting about that is there is a segment like you, and I know other people like this too, who really did love, they love just typing on a real keyboard. And if you use the jobs to be lens to think about it, what, what really happened was that segment just wasn't big enough because um, with your mobile device, you now can get multiple jobs done, of course, uh, beyond just you know typing emails. And that, I think, is what happens in markets where a new platform comes along that helps you get multiple jobs done. And that's why ultimately, I mean, calling your iPhone a phone is kind of silly. It's a portable computer, of course. And Apple even marketed this, right? There's an app for that. It means there's a solution to some job you're trying to get done. <laughs> and and that's where they really start to grow and take over the market. And, you know, BlackBerry had that opportunity. They were the leader by far. And, you know, I, lo- I loved my BlackBerry too. It was amazing to be mobile and still connected and be able to communicate. And yet it wasn't the right approach to the market um, because people were looking to get more jobs done with their portable device uh, than just the ones that required typing. So that is a really good example of where when you can segment the market and identify those opportunities, that gives you, you know, a good investment thesis to build your roadmap. We're going to have some fun on this interview for sure, Jay, because believe it or not, I almost only use my phone for a phone. I don't use it for other things. I use a computer to do everything else. So I'm like, I really am a minority on this, but it's okay. We're we're definitely going to have some fun on this. And by the way, you can find Jay at Thrive.com. That's T-H-R-V.com. And so let's get into your vision path. Let's find out more about how your vision is taking you to be at the forefront of jobs to be done software. And let's kind of drill into this. You've mentioned about it. You talked about it. I've made some jokes about using my computer instead of the phone. Let's drill into this. What is the jobs to be done and how do we use it? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's really valuable for companies that are looking to innovate. Steinway might not want to use it since they literally lack innovation. Um, But if you're really trying to grow and also to understand your customers better, and that's a pretty standard thing today that companies want to be customer focused. And that makes a ton of sense because companies exist to serve their customers. You know, without customers, you obviously wouldn't be in business. So, what does that mean to be customer focused and how does it really impact your organization and your company? This is where jobs to be done can be really, really useful across your product marketing and sales teams. Because again, the theory is that customers are, are hiring your product to get a job done. So if your product marketing and sales team really all understand and agree on what job you're targeting for your customer, then you've got much easier time gaining agreement and alignment across those cross-functional teams. And that's really what we spend a lot of time on is teaching companies and training them to gain agreement on their product strategy and their product roadmap. Uh, Because the, the problems arise when you don't hit your growth goals. 
if you're in a company and you're struggling to hit your growth goals or you're struggling to accelerate your growth, there's all sorts of things that start to downward spiral. The sales team starts to blame the product team. The product team says the sales team doesn't know how to sell, you know, et cetera, because you're misaligned with your customer. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about getting jobs done with Jay Haynes. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. When you defrost seafood, the countdown for freshness has begun. And who knows how long that fresh grocery store fish has been sitting out for. And I'm going to tell you more about that in just a moment. Wild Alaskan Company freezes their fish right after it's caught. So it's perfectly handled and delicious when you're ready to cook. Did you know that most grocery store seafood you eat was frozen, then thawed, to just present to you as fresh? You know, fresh doesn't always mean best. Start enjoying your seafood with flavor preserved at the peak of freshness with Wild Alaskan Company. I have the great distinction and pleasure of enjoying their fish. The cod is delicious and tastes just how cod is supposed to taste. And the salmon, my favorite, is quite different from store-bought salmon. Even if it's at an expensive organic grocery store, first, their packages usually say something like, wild-caught salmon with nothing else added. And guess what? It's always a bright orange. How about that? It's that way everywhere I buy my salmon. But Wild Alaskan Company salmon is different. It's not dyed. And I've never seen the natural color of salmon before. And it really tastes better. I guess the dyes used at the stores skew the taste a little bit. And I've been eating the store-bought salmon for many years. So now that I can see and taste the difference, it's only Wild Alaskan Company salmon for me. And you can avoid the fuss of unhealthy sauces and over-seasoning. Instead, all you need are a few simple ingredients and you've got a delicious lunch or dinner for you or your whole family. I could talk about it all day long, but once you taste it, then you know what I'm talking. This stuff is great. And here are some facts. Wild Alaskan Company delivers high-quality, sustainably sourced, wild-caught seafood right to your door. Each shipment contains premium cuts of individually wrapped portions of delicious seafood that are ready to prepare and easy to cook. Choose from salmon, cod, halibut, and more, or a combination of them. And every month, there are different specials to explore. Wild Alaskan Company seafood is how nature intended it to be. Always wild, never farmed or modified, and it contains no antibiotics. You can adjust, pause, or cancel your membership anytime, and they offer 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. And right now, you can get $15 off your first box of premium seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com slash D-U-R-S-O. That's wildalaskan, A-L-A-S-K-A-N, company.com slash D-U-R-S-O for $15 off your first box. wildalaskancompany.com slash D-U-R-S-O. Make sure to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. 
And the whole URL, once again, spelled out is W-I-L-D-A-L-A-S-K-A-N-C-O-M-P-A-N-Y dot com slash D-U-R-S-O. Try it today and tell me how you like it. WildAlaskanCompany.com slash D-U-R-S-O. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Getting Jobs Done with Jay Haynes. Thanks for listening today, FYI. Now there are many ways to listen to my show. I'm on Roku, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc., and an easy way is to go to Tony, D-U-R-S-O.com slash podcast. You'll find every podcast on that page back to the beginning days of when I first started as Revenue Chat Radio. Have some fun, have some laughs, and learn from our elite entrepreneurs to help you in your business. That's Tony, D-U-R-S-O.com slash podcast. And now back to the chat with Jay. Being aligned with your customer is just so essential. And the reason that we started Thrive was this actually isn't an, it's not an easy thing to do. It's, it's, the, the concept is very simple. So you could say people don't want Apple or Google Maps. The job is to get to a destination on time, right? People also didn't want records or cassettes or CDs. I'm old enough. I had eight track tapes, right? What they want is to create a mood with music. That's why we all sold our record collections and then switched to CD collections and then had iPods and now we just stream everything. So the products and solutions change over time, but the job of creating a mood with music has been the same for centuries. It's not going to change. It's the exact same goal. That's That's easy to understand in concept, but when you break down what a job is and all the variables and all the customer needs, and then trying to figure out segments like you, Tony, like, are you an attractive segment who just uses your phone as a phone or are there other attractive segments <laughs> where people are going to use their portable device for other jobs? Answering those questions, which are the key inputs into any innovation, product development and marketing sales process, that's what gets very complicated very quickly. And that's ultimately why we built the software to help teams use this uh, much more effectively. Jay, can you give me an example? Pick, pick a, a problem, an issue, and how this is a solution for it, how it works. Kind of like run us through a little bit. Yeah. The, the, the simple way to think about it is that every company is investing in their product roadmap to, to build something, some product or service, and then to market and sell it. And that product roadmap either has enormous amounts of risk in it, or it has enormous amounts of reward. It's either going to lead your company to success or failure. And the BlackBerry example is very concrete, right? They had a, they were the dominant player. Apple was a small player relative to BlackBerry. And yet they, they didn't know that they had enormous risk in their product roadmap. And this goes back to brands that, you know, we grew up with, right? Kodak. Kodak was like, you know, the dominant company and, the, and BlackBerry um, and uh, Britannica were other brands, right? Britannica thought they were selling, in the business of selling encyclopedias. You know, Kodak thought they were in the business of selling film. <laughs> it turns out, you know, people don't want encyclopedia or film. What they want is uh, to find information or to share memories. And 
that that is just the such a foundational element and companies make this mistake all the time you know microsoft uh, i don't know if you ever owned a microsoft zune tony <laughs> not not many people did but it was a competitor to the ipod right so how did microsoft not take some share of that market well the answer starts with they defined the market incorrectly and they did what is very, very traditional and a standard MBA 101 uh, market sizing. They said, well, how many products are being sold in the market and at what price? Apple had sold 200 million uh, iPods, uh, 150 bucks a piece. Uh, that's a $30 billion market. That is a big market, even for Microsoft. So they said, well, great, we're Microsoft. We're a large company. We've got lots of resources, developers, engineers, marketing. We've got a billion customers. We can, we can capture 10% of that market and we would have 3 billion of new revenue. Well, <laughs> turns out they captured basically zero because why are you going to switch to something that's basically a copy of the iPod? And the answer is almost no one does. There's no value there to you. But right when the Zune launched, a new company called Pandora was signing up 90,000 people a day. Now that is fast growth and success by any metric, right? And the reason is that people wanted to create a mood with music faster and more accurately. And in order to do it, if you looked at what you had to do with an iPod, you had to find music, you had to buy it, you had to create a playlist, you had to sync it up with your iPod from your computer, you know, that you can measure that in time. It's like literally minutes, possibly hours, and you might not even do it you know, very well. With Pandora, all you do is push a button and you've got a playlist streaming music you like. Um, you know, much faster and very accurate. They had very good algorithms, you know, to understand what you liked. So that just repeats itself again and again and again throughout all of these different uh, business cycles where dominant companies get replaced by new companies. And it's because they have a product or service that helps get a job done better. Very interesting. And we're going to look at this from another angle. We're going to kind of maybe hash a little bit of this again. But one thing is, and you've said this as well before, too many companies fail. It's, it's a preponderance of, of new companies. They just don't make it. And I've written a book on that myself. And I want to take this, drill down this way a little bit on why these companies fail. Wh- what is it? I mean, it's, the market was there for Zoom. People want the music. What was it? People want, people want the phone. Why did BlackBerry go away? I mean, not that we need to talk about them again, but why are these companies failing? What is it? And how does your solution help with something like that? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, and, and we really look at all of jobs theory and jobs done as, this, as a risk mitigation system in two ways. One, uh, mitigating the risk that you have the wrong product roadmap and it's going to lead to failure. Uh, the other is mitigating the risk that just from the start, you're building something that people aren't going to switch to. And that's the Zune example, which is very interesting. And we summarize it really in two words, speed and accuracy. Now, there's another one. You can build a low-cost product as well if you just have come in with lower-cost product. That's, that can take share. But generally, if you want to innovate, if you want to be a real innovator, it requires doing something faster and more accurately. And that means that there are metrics that you can use to judge, or judge whether or not you're on the right path. So if you did this exercise with Zune versus the iPod, um, the Zune was actually really great. I used to carry one around because I, I love demoing it. 
It even had a podcasting feature, you may remember, ironically. Um, But it was a good product. It worked. But if you compared it to creating a mood with music with an iPod, it didn't do anything differently or better. There was no metric where you could say, this is faster and this is more accurate doing it with a Zune. It was exactly the same metrics. It was literally almost a copy of the iPod. Now, if you look at Pandora and you analyzed it versus the iPod, it did, it was much faster in, in minutes and sometimes days. And it was more accurate because its algorithms were very, very good at recommending songs given the mood you were in. If you wanted to exercise, you're feeling romantic or you wanted to relax or whatever. And so there's always those metrics that you can use to figure out if you're on a very risky path or if you're on a path to success. And we always like to say the best entrepreneurs are risk mitigators, not risk takers. Being a risk taker is crazy. (laughs) No one wants to take on risk. What you want to do is take on opportunities and mitigate the risk of failure as much as possible. So I'm I'm totally aligned with you, Tony. The, The goal is to not fail. And unfortunately, you know, Silicon Valley has given us this phrase, fail fast, which I think, you know, leads companies and entrepreneurs astray. And you know, what's interesting on that, Jay, is even though the goal is not to fail, when you throw a ton of money at something, you expect, you would think if it's well planned out, that it would succeed. Microsoft had billions of dollars at their disposal, not that they used it, to make that Zoom hot, to make it the king. Customer demand sets the stage. What is it that the people demand? You could have everything and anything with the product, but if the customer doesn't demand it, it goes nowhere. And you mentioned people want faster and more accurate. And I'm thinking with this, and I did not have a Zoom, but I know someone who is listening to this now, I'm certain, and had a Zune and loved it, thought it was great. And I had an iPod at the time, which I loved and thought was great. And that's just the way it was. I never got into, well, what's so good about it? Because I was happy as it was with my iPod. I was happy it was done. And price wasn't a factor to me. And I don't remember, I'm trying to think of what the price difference was between the Zune and the iPod as an example. But I wanted to mention price because doesn't that also help create a customer demand? In fact, we seem to think that custom, that price is king and drives all demand. And so I wanted to get your take on that in terms of the innovation as well. What is it that makes that change? What is it that makes people want it or not? To the question of price, that is really, really interesting. And we do a lot of work studying people's willingness to pay to get jobs done. Because that's really the true size of the market. It's, it's really independent of the, the current products. It, that influences people's willingness to pay, of course. So if you're just going to compete on price, that's very, very hard to do. Um, because it, then it's just a downward spiral. And all of your, you're, you're not only create, creating a downward spiral, but you're losing your profits unless you can really scale with a low-cost model, uh, like Walmart, of course. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about getting jobs done with Jay Haynes. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment.
When you're trying to nail an important project, you may need some extra help, unless you can literally do everything yourself. But while you can try, it's so much better to let experts do what they do best so that you can stay on top of your business, right? Fiverr Business puts a world of expert freelancers at your fingertips so that you can get that project across the finish line and be proud of the work. Plus, you'll get everything you need to seamlessly integrate your new team members into your workflow. And that's F-I-V-E-R-R, two R's. I first started my podcast radio career about six years ago. The first show was called Revenue Chat Radio. I didn't have any knowledge or experience in creating decent banners or any digital graphics. Someone told me about Fiverr, and it was, and is to this day, a tremendous lifesaver. I use Fiverr exclusively for anything and everything I need. I make banners of all sizes, I get web page designs, my videos get edited, book covers are made, animations are made, and a whole bunch more. All on Fiverr. I recommend Fiverr. Join up and you will see me listed as a VID a very important doer. I've tried other sites and none compared to the way Fiverr is structured and how easy it works. Using it exclusively for six years should tell you something. Fiverr Business is a modern workplace for the digital world. No more scattered feedback. Collaborate with your team, manage projects, and share freelancers all in one workspace. Fiverr's business team matches you with the best talent for every project. Now your team can really do it all. Fiverr Business simplifies working with multiple freelancers, set budgets, and manage projects with ease. Find the freelancers you need to give your next project just the boost it needs to finish strong. Right now, you can sign up for Fiverr Business absolutely free for the first year. Get one free year and save 10% on your purchase on Fiverr Business with promo code TONY. Just go to fiverr.com slash business and don't forget promo code Tony. That's F-I-V-E-R-R dot com code T-O-N-Y. Try it today and tell me how you like it. Fiverr.com code Tony. You're listening to the Tony D'Erso Show with special VIP guests. Now back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Getting Jobs Done with Jay Haynes. When you get a moment, please rate my show on the podcast platform you use to listen to my shows. If you have Apple Podcasts, that would be great. If you don't see anything there, you can always go to TonyDurso.com slash review and drop a kind one. Thank you kindly. And now back to the chat with Jay. But if you look at uh, the market from the lens of the jobs to be done, you can actually find big markets where people are willing to pay more than the products in the market. And to answer your question, the reason they're willing to pay more is because they're looking for something that helps them do something better. And I'll give you a great example. Uh, the thermostat market, which is an old, very mature market where thermostat makers sold these thermostats for about 30 bucks a piece, and they sold them to HVAC contractors. 
So if you had, you know, your HVAC guy come to your house, they'd put a thermostat on and they'd say, hey, it's programmable. And, and you'd look at the thing and you would never program it. And it was kind of a pain to use and had like a horrible interface. I mean, everybody probably remembers these. And they, like, they cost about 30 bucks. So a new company called Nest decided that it would innovate the thermostat. And what did they do? Well, the Nest thermostat cost $250. That's that that imagine entering a market where you're almost 10 times higher than the price of the average average product. First of all, that's very bold to have that confidence to price your your product at that high. Um, but the mistake the incumbent thermostat makers wait, whoa, that's too high of a price. No one's ever going to buy a $250 thermostat. And that's true. No one is buying a thermostat. They are hiring it to help them achieve comfort in their home. So people will pay to achieve comfort in their home and to get energy savings too, right? The reason you didn't program that thermostat is because it has a horrible interface. You may remember Nest would automatically figure out when you were home by when you were setting it, and then it would automatically create a schedule for you. So if you looked at what Nest was doing, it was satisfying needs in the customer's job of achieving the comfort, comfort in your home much faster and more accurately, and people were willing to pay for that. And of course, Google you know, bought them for, I think, around $3 billion dollars. So very, very successful innovation. And they changed the market because they focused on the key customer. And we work with companies figuring out who the customer they should target is a lot. And in that case, thermostat makers were targeting HVAC contractors, but those aren't the reason the market exists. The reason the market exists is because homeowners were achieving comfort. And so homeowners are the ultimate customer. And companies can make this mistake of targeting the wrong customer too, uh, in that case, that's a great example. And Nest changed the whole market. Now the thermostat market is a consumer electronics market. I've never used a Nest, but I have used similar competitors, and I'm f- very familiar with that. It's got its pros and cons. I'm, I guess I'm a little old-fashioned. I like to just go and set it myself, and you know, if I'm if I'm gone for the whole day, I can I can change it. Otherwise, when I'm in, I change it myself. To me, it's just too easy to do that. Yeah, Tony, I think you're, you're exactly right. The, what you're expressing there, I think, is totally right, which is this idea that there are different segments of the market. So you, in that market for achieving comfort in the home, you would not be what would be considered an underserved customer. You like a thermostat, you like setting it yourself, you know, totally fine. And you might not be the target customer in that market, but what you want to answer before you even start building your product is is there a group of customers, a segment of the market, who are all underserved in the same way? And are they pounding their head against the table to try and get this job done? And do they have a willingness to pay to get a job done? And that's why sometimes we like to say when we're using jobs to be done, some of our competitive advantage is we have no ideas. So most innovation process to start with an idea, you know, Jay or Tony has a great idea. Here, let's, let's build this widget. Well, we like to do it the other way. We don't even come up with ideas until we really understand a segment of customers who are just struggling to get the job done. And they're telling us, we really want something to help get this job done faster and more accurately. And if that's the case, then you can start to come up with the ideas that are going to do that for the customers. And not everybody, it's really rare that you should target a broad market of every human. <laughs> they just You have to segment, you have to focus, you have to find those people. Absolutely. Yeah. And part of that, Jay, is that market may not know what your product will do and may not be demanding it. But as soon as you say, hey, we can help you save on your energy bill a lot, significant, 
I remember the days when my electric bill was about a thousand dollars a month. I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. It was absolutely crazy. And if anyone would have come to me and said, "We can help you micromanage this," you know, bam, it, I, I would have raised my hand and jumped because you don't know that you're a customer. Sometimes you don't know that you need something until you know its features and what it does. And when you find out with it and it resonates with you, boom, you're a customer. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. And, and the key phrase, I think, when you just said there is what it does. That is what Jobs to be Done helps. It helps companies and entrepreneurs figure that question out. What should the thing do? <laughs> and that, that's much more complicated than it seems. And that is just such an incredible part of the innovation process because you're exactly right. Customers don't know what products they want. Your customers are not in the business of innovation. They are living their lives. They got to get their jobs done. They've got enormous amounts of stress and anxiety. They don't need more time in the day. Everybody's busy. So they're not sitting around thinking of what product ideas they need. What they're thinking is, these are my struggles. These, I'm trying to achieve these goals and I can't achieve them. And even if you go back and look at what Steve Jobs said, and we've written about this. It's and obviously Apple, you know, most successful companies in the world. So understanding what they do is important. And what he said, he did not say customers don't know what they want. And that generally is a myth. What he said is customers don't know what products they want. <laughs> they can't tell you, I I'm envisioning that I'm going to have this small device and over this wireless air thing, I'm going to be able to access every single song ever recorded ever. I mean, you know, my 15 year old self would never be able to imagine that happening. You know, I was just satisfied with my record collection because I was no longer listening to eight track tapes. I love eight track. <laughs> yeah. It was such a weird format. Remember it was this weird, like on a nonlinear, you could only kind of go forward across like these parallel, you know, it was bizarre. Um, but yeah, but it was fun to have those, you know, and uh, there were some benefits. But so what your customers do know is what they're struggling with. They absolutely, and, and you can think about this is if you talk to a bunch of cooks or chefs, they could never tell you they need a microwave. Like still, I don't even know what, what goes on in a microwave. It's very bizarre. Some sort of like mini nuclear reactor that's heating things up, right? Who knows what goes on in the microwave? And, and certainly chefs and cooks could never tell you, I need a device that can invisibly heat my food. <laughs> but they absolutely can tell you everything about preparing food that is a struggle, that's time-consuming and complex and goes off tracks, et cetera. So when you're talking to your customers, don't ask them for what solutions they want. Ask them for what problems they want you to solve. And then you can have your nifty engineering team go figure out you know, how to invent the microwave. I love that. And I have a couple of questions I want to ask at once. I want to go into marketing that product to let people know, hey, I've got something that will save you, will solve this, will fix this, will improve this. I want to cover that, but, but, but I don't want to miss also another angle perhaps is I want to talk about product road mapping and how this all fits together with it. Yeah, great. And those two things are really linked is your marketing and your messaging and positioning and your road mapping. And that's what we try and help teams coordinate on so that you're building something in a roadmap. And then when you're marketing and selling it, you've got this coordinated effort. And the key to any roadmap, it's funny, we ask companies all the time, we work with them, you know, how do you prioritize your product roadmap? Um, and generally, it's some version of what's known as the hippo, the highest paid person's opinion. 
right? If your name is Jeff Bezos and you're working with your team, your team's going to do what you tell them to do, right? And that happened uh, famously with the Amazon Fire Phone, which was very similar to the Zune. I assume you didn't own an Amazon phone because it was a huge failure. But they were told by Jeff Bezos, I have this vision for this crazy new phone. And even his team, his executives were saying, this is nuts. Why are we building this? And the answer was, we're building it because Jeff Bezos told us to. And so when we asked them about roadmapping, the correct answer is you shouldn't prioritize your roadmap. Your customers should. So the way to prioritize is to look at what your customers are struggling with and say, okay, they're telling us these are their biggest struggles. Let's help them with those first. That should be our priority. And then the next is the messaging around that. And we work with a lot of B2B companies too, especially in B2B software, and everybody likes to message to their AI or their machine learning, right? Very hip today to be like, we've got great machine learning algorithms. I can tell you there is no customer on the planet who cares at all about machine learning or artificial intelligence. They care about it only to the extent that it helps them do something faster and more accurately. So if you're trying to help you know, companies acquire customers, if you're trying to help consumers get a baby to sleep through the night or whatever the job is, if your AI or machine learning helps with that, then you should message to the fact that your solution gets that job done faster and more accurately. And you can then explain, and the way we do that is with our nifty machine learning algorithms, but the message, the key message should be, you're going to help people make their lives easier something you're going to do is faster and more accurate. Like, like the Nest thermostat, we're going to help you achieve comfort in your home faster and more accurately. Uh, or, or Pandora too, right? Those are, we all know these examples because they're consumer markets, but this is true in business and medical markets as well. This is the Tony D'Urso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about getting jobs done with Jay Haynes. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Entrepreneurs around the world know that agility and flexibility are integral to building businesses that scale. And that's across all your core functions. I recently came across a company that thinks about payments through a radical new lens. Checkout.com. I like that they help you unlock more revenue with their connected payment services. There's connected and then there's super connected technology and that's what Checkout uses. They have world-class fraud filters. They make payments seamless and that's a great thing. Did you know that merchants lose over $20 billion due to false declines? Wouldn't you love to capture more of that? And before I go on, did you know that 65% of merchants surveyed do not receive detailed raw response codes on failed payments. That's a huge percentage. I've been reading their free report and I am astounded at the money lost. In a survey of 5,071 consumers across four countries, 52.1% were put off permanently from shopping on a site because of the complexity of the payment process. Can you believe that? Ouch. Could this be why you're not getting as many sales as you think you should? Are you leaving money on the table? You know, just having an online checkout and taking credit card payments is actually the beginning of the story. Checkout.com is a leading cloud-based global payment solutions provider for brands across the globe like Pizza Hut, Wise, Klarna, Revolut, and Samsung. 
Checkout's payment platform is purpose-built with performance, scalability, and speed in mind. Ideal for merchants looking to seamlessly integrate better payment solutions globally. Checkout.com offers improved acceptance, better and more actionable granular data, a flexible product structure that merchants can adapt to their needs, combined with truly personal white glove service. Learn how to optimize your authorization rates with Checkout's free guide to better payments performance. This guide is full of expert advice and merchant insights to fast-track your path to unrivaled payments performance. Request a free no-commitment demo at Checkout.com slash D-U-R-S-O. That's Checkout.com slash D-U-R-S-O for a free demo. Checkout.com slash D-U-R-S-O. And that's C-H-E-C-K-O-U-T dot com slash D-U-R-S-O. All right, check it out and tell me how you like it. Checkout.com slash D-U-R-S-O. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Getting Jobs Done with Jay Haynes. Hey, check out my new book, Iman of Atlantis, I-M-E-N. Volume 1 is called Bitten. It's a fictional story about an amazing people, the Iman. It's in a medieval setting, in a way, and you can read the full description at Amazon or go to TonyDurso.com slash books and click on Iman of Atlantis. That's I-M-E-N of Atlantis. Get it today and tell me how you like it. And now back to the chat with Jay. Jay, what I'd like to do here is if you're able to give a few examples of what you've done in terms of perhaps what the lack or the, the demand was or what the envisioned demand was, what you did and how that created business growth. If you could give us a few examples, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. One of my favorite is um, we helped a team at Target take back market share from Amazon. <laughs> so that is not an easy thing to do. As we all know, Amazon is just a fierce competitor. And this team was working on uh, registry, so wedding and baby registries. And they lost, they were losing out to Amazon. And what we did is help them focus on, that's actually what's known as a two-sided market, because you have effectively two jobs to be done. You've got giving a gift and you've got receiving a gift. So we helped them rethink what they were doing in registry rather than just, hey, we can list products that you want, right? That's easy to do. And that's really not that differentiated. But the whole process of giving and receiving these gifts are very emotional. It's very personal and it's very, it can go wrong, <laughs> of course. Um, and so if you really dive into those two jobs and you create value for both the receiver and the giver of the gift, you're going to succeed because the customers, you know, help them get the job done faster and more accurately. And that will lead to success. And that was a great example. They took back share. They grew their revenue significantly. It really accelerated the revenue growth. And one of the leaders that we worked with there, he had a, a great comment, which was Amazon started copying our features. And, you know, uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, even in business. And so their team was very excited about that. They, they you know, because now they felt like they were the innovators. Amazon was catching up to their team. 
So that's a good example. Um, and then, you know, we have, we have lots of other examples that are just more complicated markets. That's a good one that I think most people would understand. Uh, but the process is the same no matter the market. Great example. Congratulations on that. Very good. That's tough, tough markets. Jay, we're always on the lookout for what helps bring success, what could help us take our business to the next level. I find the most fascinating information when I ask our guests about their personal habits and how that contributes to their vision, to their success. So we'd love to know, what do you feel are your successful personal habits that lead to your success in business? Yeah, that's a great question. And I I think it's really two things. The first and foremost is just empathy, real customer empathy, uh, and having that kind of empathy with what your customers are going through. Even if you're in a B2B market, there's people at the company you're selling to, and we're, ultimately, we're all humans, and we have to empathize with those kind of struggles. And, and people are busy and stressed out, you know, I mean, not just because we're in a global pandemic, but... Uh, life is very, very competitive and very hard. So if you can have that kind of empathy, that I think is just, it will always serve you well to just have a ton of empathy for what people are going through. And related to that, the second thing I would say is always learning, always learning new stuff. Um, I like learning new stuff that doesn't even seem to relate to jobs we've done or innovation or business at all. One of my favorite new books is by an author, a neuroscientist called Lisa Feldman Barrett, and it's called How Emotions Are Made. And that would seem, you know, very, very far away from innovation. <laughs> um, and yet, if, you, if, if you're just curious and want to learn, you can, you can get lessons from things that are not related to directly what you're doing and, and apply those lessons to what you actually are doing. And how Emotions Are Made is just, it's a fascinating book. And it really explains people and the way they operate. And that's, that's an example of just, I think, continuous learning, always being able to willing to learn, you know, book learning, but also learning from your colleagues and your friends and certainly from your customers. I like that on the empathy. You've said it very, very well, beautifully said. Jay, what, what are you looking to accomplish in the next few years? Where are you going with all this with your company? What's, what do you see the next level of growth? Uh, I don't think you would be surprised to learn that we're building Thrive on Thrive using jobs to be done. (laughs) (laughs) So our roadmap uh, at Thrive is really dictated from our customers. And we're always learning. We're always bringing new information that we um, get from them into our roadmap. And what we're very excited about, I think, is making it easy to learn and adopt and implement this method because it really is a process. It's not an individual project. If you really want to succeed with jobs to be done, it is adopting a new process. And that's, that's not easy. And so we think of ourselves as part teacher, part therapist. <laughs> and I, I say that because we're obviously trying to teach the method, but Product meetings and innovation meetings can be very, very stressful. There's a lot of politics or a lot of disagreement. People who, who work in these types of jobs are obviously very smart. And so we, we try and help teams really be effective at this. And that's, that's what I think keeps me motivated is that if we can keep 
being a better teacher and, and partially a better therapist, <laughs> um, that's, that to me is very exciting. And the way I think about it is job stability is like an instrument. It's like a musical instrument. If you said, oh, great, here's an electric guitar. Well, okay, you need to then learn some music theory, but ultimately you want to learn how to play songs. And that's what we try to do. We teach the theory, but we're really trying to get these teams to play really great songs. And great songs are launching really great products consistently. Makes perfect sense. And something came to mind, Jay, your company has dealt with the top companies in the world, Microsoft, Twitter, Target, and so forth. Is your, your company, is your focus the, the top of the top? Do you deal with small business, middle-sized businesses? What level would a company come to you and, and look to see what solutions you could provide them at Thrive? Yeah, that's great. No, we work with startups uh, all the way through, you know, Fortune 50 companies. Um, and that's one benefit of having a method. It's, you know, everybody wants to play songs. <laughs> so no matter, not to kill this metaphor. Um, but, uh, but so we do, we work with startups and we work with very large companies. The main difference is where they are in their journey. And of course, where they are in their budgeting. Our course is free, so you can learn this method for free. And our application is very inexpensive. You know, it's $29 a user per month. So even a startup can get a few users on it and really start to use the method effectively. Larger companies need help because they just, they need to train more people. They're just larger numbers of product team members and sales team and marketing team members. You know, we work with groups that sometimes have hundreds and hundreds of product managers. So it's, it's kind of at a different scale. And then um, we can help companies where there is research to do to make this effective. You have to interview customers. You have to constantly be talking to customers. You want to get quantitative data through surveys. There's, a, there's statistical analysis on segmentation and market sizing and all sorts of stuff. So there is work. Now, we're excited because we're constantly trying to make it lower cost and easier and faster, using speed and accuracy again, for a company of any size to use jobs to be done effectively. So we're always working on that. We're building more tools into our software that makes it less expensive to do all this stuff. And we're trying to make our training as easily as possible for people to learn the method too. So it's, it's exciting to work with, you know, small companies and big companies. They interestingly have very, very similar problems sometimes. Sometimes they're very different problems. But everybody wants to be part of a successful team. And that's, that's what we try and help with. That's excellent. Once again, we talked about getting jobs done with Jay Haynes. And you can find him at thrive.com, T-H-R-V.com. Check it out. See what they have and see how it can help you innovate, how it can help you get your jobs, get your tasks done, increase your revenue and everything else. Check it out. And uh, I want to thank you so much for sharing with us today, Jay. Really learned quite a bit and gave a whole new insight on something that I thought I knew. And But you kind of like the, the back end of it was very, very informative. I thank you so much. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took his vision to reality. I know this was as inspiring for you as it was for me to do this interview, Getting Jobs Done with Jay Haynes. We talked about what is jobs to be done software? How do we use it? We talked about how many companies fail, too many, and 
and products failed. We talked about and compared major products that you've heard about. We talked about what creates customer demand. Customers will buy something with wild abandon that they didn't even know existed because it solved a need. How do you find that need? How do you solve that? We talked about product roadmapping, innovation, marketing, how that yields business growth and how that can help you in entrepreneurship, how it can help you with your business. I'd love to know what you got out of this. How did you use this information to help you in your business? Did you check out thrive.com? Did this interview give you any ideas? Did it stimulate you to take some action? Would you please share? And you know this part well, grab hold of your vision, hang on to that and keep working on it. That is the key to making your vision a reality. And decide you're going to either start something great for your business or simply take what you have to the next level. You have to decide first. It always starts with a decision. And you can get my vision map to help you along the process. The book is at TonyDURSO.com slash books. I created a sustainable business in just a few years. My empire, I wrote up the vision map as my guide. I used years of experience, information I learned in school, in college, and university, from books, from all many sources. That's not correct grammar, but it's okay. From all many sources, I wrote up all these points, and now it's called the vision map, and that was my guide, and I give that to you so that you can use it too. And remember, please support this show with a nice review or comments on the video platforms. I would really greatly appreciate that. You can go to TonyDURSO.com slash review and share this with a few friends to help them too, right? All right, let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks, and remember... Just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel.